and we caught some giant rogue sideways wave or a two, couple of them and and it popped the tops basically the whole top of the front end of the boat popped up like a Tupperware lid and dipped into the water and gulped in as much water as it could possibly eat. Welcome back to When It Hits The Fan, the podcast where we speak with the world's most intrepid explorers about what really happens when things go wrong. Brought to you by Battleface Travel Insurance. Now, amongst the many formidable challenges that can face explorers and adventurers, the sheer vastness and unpredictability of the ocean makes it a particularly perilous environment. But our guest today has devoted himself to uncovering the secrets that exist hidden on the ocean floor. Tim Taylor is an ocean explorer, underwater robotics expert, founder and CEO of Tiburon Subsea, and has, over the past 30 years, become one of the most renowned experts on marine technology and deep sea exploration. Perhaps one of the most important projects he's been involved with is the Lost 52, which aims to locate and survey US World War II submarines, and of course their crews, which have lain undiscovered for decades. So far, the project has discovered seven of these lost subs, bringing closure to the families of these sailors and providing a vital historical record of what happened to the vessels. In fact, in news that has only just gone public, Tim has recently been bestowed the Distinguished Public Service Award, the US Navy's highest civilian honor for his work with the Lost 52 project. As you can probably assume, we've been really looking forward to having a chat with Tim. So let's uh, get straight into it. Tim, welcome. Thank you. And uh, I should start off by saying congratulations uh, for this award, as I understand it, the highest civilian honor that you've been bestowed uh, by the US Navy. Yes, yes, we're quite honored to me and the whole team are for our work uh, that we've done and it's nice to be recognized. Did you have any idea that you would receive this uh, award? Were there, were there rumors beforehand or, or it was completely out of the blue? Well, I, I've had, it, it wasn't completely out of the blue because I, I, one of my mentors, one of my advisory board uh, members, Don Walsh, who is, is famous for 1960 going to the bottom of the ocean with Jacques Picard. So Don had, uh, had won it in 2010 and he wrote a letter to the Navy to put me up for it and let me know that. So I didn't know if it would happen and now, yeah, you know, you know, you know, sit here and wait for these things to show up at your door. But uh, he was kind enough to to uh, nominate me. Thought our work was uh, exemplary. So uh, um, I'm honored that yeah, actually he's one of the guys that that that, that spearheaded this. So. And has it been uh, quite difficult, sort of keeping it under wraps until uh, the, you know it was actually able to be announced? Yeah. Well, we you know in the in times of COVID, uh, it, we uh, received it in the mail and. Uh, and pretty much, uh, you know, we're we're sitting on it, and we're we're announcing it soon, and and we'll be one of the first to probably air it. But uh, uh, it uh, in in the uh, the old days, it might have been a little bit more of a fanfare and a, an event, but today it isn't. So that's still it's a great honor. Absolutely, yeah. So um, as as far as I know, then the the incident you're going to talk about today um, happened when you were you were leaving uh, Havana on a vessel is, is that right have I got the uh, yeah, location in, in my career before I sold my research vessel to the Navy 
Uh, I, I did a lot of work in the Caribbean, a lot of different specialty work with deep water, uh, mixed gas rebreather diving, archaeological work. Uh, we segued into robotics, which is what I do now. Uh, deep water uh, robotics, which is the Lost 52 project, and we'll touch on that a little bit. But uh, we'll be talking about uh, a trip back across the Gulf Stream. And, and over here, there, there's about a 100-mile stretch between Havana and, and Key West, which we were coming into. Uh, I had a small crew of five and we were delivering the boat back across in some winter uh, weather and got caught by a, a, a cold front coming through. And uh, we had some damage to the boat that uh, we, uh, we uh, saved the boat, saved the people and, and, and got her home. So, so what are the, um, the climatic or, or tidal conditions that can actually make the Gulf Stream dangerous? Well, it, the, the Gulf Stream is, a, is one of the, the super ocean currents. And it starts down south of Cuba in the Yucatan and rolls around right up through the Straits of Florida and, and hits you guys in the UK. It brings your, your, your weather is, is brought to you by the courtesy of the Gulf Stream's warm waters. So uh, when, when you have a current and then you put wind against the current, you can build some pretty steep seas uh, because you're pushing one against the other. Uh, and uh, when, you, when you're crossing it, uh, you know, the, the middle of that is, basically, uh, you know, 50 miles away from every port you're, you're supposed to be at. So you're really in the middle of nowhere and uh, hard to get to. And this was in the middle of the night that you were attempting this crossing? Yeah, we, we cross at the night. Usually it's easier, less traffic. Uh, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a, uh, just easier to travel at night, tends, tends to be. We were, had a watch on, and, and, uh, um, but we were, we were coming back from Havana to the Keys after an archaeological project with the European Institute of Archaeology. You mentioned that uh, there was a, a crew of five on board. So this was a, a relatively uh, small boat. Can you kind of give me an idea? of? of we're not a, yeah, we're not a big vessel. We're a 21, 22 meter uh, boat, uh, we're, but we're customized. We're designed for diving, getting in shallow waters, getting in places that, like the Bahamas and, and, and coastal reef areas that uh, boats, big ships will be launching little tender boats, but we're a, we we, uh, we could sleep fourteen people uh, in eight staterooms at the time, so it it's it it was customized to do this with compressors and mixed gas systems and and rebreather support and 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 all the full you know uh, suite of electronics and and we actually had internet back then. So, so was this something that, that came about very suddenly, or were you aware? Okay, we're going into quite choppy seas here. You know, how quickly did it dawn on you that you might be in trouble? Well, we, we had rough seas, we knew we were coming back. Uh, it, it, moving backwards from the repair, it seemed that when this boat was manufactured, and I, I, I didn't build it, I bought it and I, I refurbished it and customized it from there. But uh, it, it had like a, a cap, which is the top of the boat that's put onto the hull. And they, and they built it like smaller boats, like they were building a 20, 20 footer or you know, a, a six, eight meter vessel and and it didn't have the structural integrity at the bow section so so over the years it had been pushing like tupperware and like if you push tupperware in to pop the top off and we caught some giant rogue sideways wave or a two, couple of them and and it popped the tops basically the whole top of the front end of the boat popped up like a tupperware lid and dipped into the water and gulped in as much water as it could possibly eat and and filled two staterooms 
two heads and, and our firewall got it. We, we were like the Titanic. Our, our vessel was a Coast Guard certified passenger carrying vessel. So we had we had breakwater compartments that would that would stop it. And and it, if it would have got to the next compartment, we wouldn't have made it. It would have been jumping in a raft. So. Yeah, right. So I mean, things got very serious very quickly then. But by, by the sounds of things, it was a kind of just sudden, you know, wave crashing. And as you say, this this cap sort of popping off and, and taking on water. Um, how does it work? Are you captaining um, this vessel? Yeah, well, I'm captain in charge. I was captain, obviously owner. Uh, I, I just relieved. Uh, I, I had just been relieved from my watch, and my my first mate took over and was running. Uh, was was running the helm but at, at that situation we knew it was rough and the way the quarters were set up I, I i just laid in a bunk next to him it was basically time to get a to some sleep i think i was i was off for 10 minutes when this all happened uh, immediately it jumped up saw what was happening on the bow because uh, the bow was moving spun it into a following sea we had a big sea so i turned it in a following sea and started heading uh with the sea behind us which we could level us out and i could control it uh put the, someone at the wheel ran down and checked and saw how much water was coming in and or was in the boat ran back up uh immediately put people on life jacks called a mayday uh our our mayday was heard by a tugboat uh, i would say 10 12 miles behind us but they were moving at our speed or a little slower. So we were, we, we had to head in a certain direction and our direction was away from every place except for, for Mexico. We were gonna go another 200, 300 miles to Mexico. That's the only land that we could get to maybe. So we were, we were in that fallen sea. So our choices became save the boat, abandon the boat, and then they would pick us up eventually because we would be floating and they'd find us in our raft. We have a big uh, a 25 man raft like you'd find on a cruise ship, it blows up in a big container. So that's, that's, those were our choices. Our pumps weren't working, but obviously they were overwhelmed by that. And so we called, the May Day was called, uh, they dispatched a helicopter from the Coast Guard station and a 41 footer, which took them several hours to get there. Uh, we wound up uh, having them pitch us a, uh, a, a, with a big a big water pump, two inch, they call them two inch water, gas powered pump. You'd see like uh, firemen use you fire it up and, and it'll, it'll you know, pull out the water real fast. But in order to do that, you have a 41 foot boat or, or you know, how many meters, 41 foot, what, uh, 12 meters maybe, eh, 11 meters, yeah. uh, or maybe 14 meters, but trying to hand us, <laughs> Uh, a pump in the middle of eight or nine foot seas doesn't work that way. And, and the crew on that 41 footer are, are generally 18, 19, 20 years old with the experience level of being just trained and thrown on those boats. Maybe the commander's 25. So uh, I wouldn't let him do it. So I wouldn't let him come near us. They tried to come and throw it on. They were gonna sink us by, by coming near us. So we made them pitch us some lines and we hauled it aboard uh, and, uh, and put it to work. So that, that was our, that was our our, our rescue but then it took us 25 hours to get home we had we couldn't go back into a sea we'd just take on more water we had to inch our way towards some islands and then turn around and come back and it was it was a it was a long trip home i bet so take take me through this um moment in <coughs> you're sort of at this this crux of a decision whether to stay aboard or whether to abandon you know what are you basing that on is this something that you've 
you know, thought about in the past? Uh, you know, is there training that comes into play? You know, what are the factors involved in terms of risk factors? Well, this is this is my entire career, whether I'm working with robotics, which we are now, or we're working with divers down deep, or we're working with vessels that are carrying scientists and, and explorers on, on expeditions, is to game it out, okay? To think of what can go wrong and be two steps ahead of that. I, I, and, and then, and try not to get there, okay? Our job is risk management. I mean, we've, we, we dealt, we, in the past, we dealt with handling animals like sharks and feeding them for television shows and, and scientists. And, and those are always managed situations. You have to, you just don't see them on TV the way you, you see them. So the same thing with the boats. You manage, if you take on water, what are we gonna do? We do drills all the time, okay? We, we practice what's going on. Obviously, in the heat of the moment, uh, it, the reality and drills tend to have a little bit more adrenaline going, but uh, the training is the training. And if you don't, if you if you drill that in there, you drill that in there. When something like this happens, you you react and you make the proper steps. So so people first, uh, you know, stabilize the situation. People first, uh, and that, as far as decision making. So it was always how do we get the five people safely in the water? That's the last thing you want to do if you have to, but. It, it, it's quite evident if you do. So we were on a floating boat. It had taken on water and stabilized it going down sea. Raft was prepared in case we had to. Life jackets were issued. May Day was on its way. We had it managed. And then we could take a breath and go, okay, we're not sinking. So what, what next? We wait for the pump. And then we took the pump and we, you know, we, everything took steps from there. But that's what you do. You game this out and you get ready for things that can happen. And, and that's everything that we do from deep diving to, to, you know, launching our robotics. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, was there a, um, once you decided to actually stay aboard and you were waiting for the pump, was there still a serious risk of the boat sinking or had you kind of determined that, you know, it would, it would be able to stay afloat even with the water it was taking on? It would be it, hard to determine that. We, we knew that if we took more water on, it would sink. Right, so it could at any minute we could be abandoning a boat. So we 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 set up by radio. The tug would pick us up. The coast guard would then uh, still on their way. If they got there, they would pick us up. Excuse me. Um, if uh, if we had to get in the raft, how we would do it? We had we had those we had time to have that discussion once we stabilized the situation and we were running down sea, and then we had a little bit more time to evaluate if the pumps were working, which they weren't. I mean, a lot of a lot of garbage when you take your pillows and, and linens and then throw them down on the bills, the pumps don't really handle those well. But I, I tell you what, what we did do is after this incident, it took me four months to rebuild the bow of this boat. We built it like it was a tank. The Coast Guard basically said, this is, this, you could, you could and a structural engineer said we could hit a brick wall at 12 knots and it would break in the middle of the boat, not the bow. So we, we, we made an icebreaker out of a, out of a, of a fiberglass boat. Yeah. But uh, I immediately equipped the boat with a two inch gas pump, put it up high and we did regular drills on that. So we would have our own two inch pump if something happened and we kept it above, above decks way up high. So if, it, if obviously you, you don't want it below decks and if you flood it out, you can take it on water and it's underwater, it's no good to you. And uh, several years later, we had a stuffing box go, which is the shaft seals on our engine. And, you know, it was a routine, throw the two inch pump in, you know, solve the problem and, and uh, uh, we learned our lesson and that's the key element about this stuff and that's what ocean always teaches you 
you know, it, it, uh, if you don't learn those lessons and apply them and add them to your base of knowledge, you're, uh, you're, 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 uh, you're gonna, you're gonna have the same thing happen to you again someday. So. Yeah. I mean, it does sound like, you know, as you say, kind of, you know, preparing for an eventuality, you know, experiencing it and then kind of double down again and, you know, kind of prepare for it more because, you know, unfortunately lightning can strike twice and right, right. just because it's happened once, well, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen in six months time as well. Right. And teach that to your team. You got, you got a crew that everybody on that, on my boat knew, knew how to drive it, knew how to work the systems, knew how to run that pump. We did drills on it. And that, that pump was a fire pump as well. We could assist other boats with a fire hose. So we had a lot of, a lot of added, um, uh, capacity because of what we learned by having an event like like the bow you know, separation so so it was uh it was plus we learned how to handle uh fiberglass resin and 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 constructing boats afterwards because we spent three months or four months rebuilding that thing so and a string to your bow so there you go <laughs> um fantastic i mean like one last thing that I, I wanted to ask you before we um before we leave but you know, we, we've, I talked about at the start, you know, Lost 52, how, you know, it, it's such an important project in terms of, you know, bringing closure to the families of, um, you know, sailors who have been lost in, in submarines or at sea. Uh, kind of aside from Lost 52, which, you know, of course we accept is, is, is very high on your list of priorities to find, you know, what, what is the one thing that's out there that, you know, you don't know if it is able to be found you don't know kind of where it is but you know you would love before you retire one day to be able to find it is is there anything like that for you oh there's a there's a handful of uh, of items some i'll keep secret but one of the ones that is is in your neck of the woods is uh the the bonhomme richard so that's uh it's off a of flambeau point it was the first u.s uh, uh boat uh in our in our revolutionary war that had a battle with the french uh, and and was lost. A lot of people are looking for it. It's uh, it's it's you know it's a it's an old old wreck that would be fascinating to find and and be part of. But uh, um, uh, I I I tell you the 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 ability to go out and look for these things now and the technology that we're employing and deploying is groundbreaking because uh, we're not doing the old way of towing you know long cables in the water we're able to send autonomous robots down and scan so much of the area and the oceans are getting smaller and smaller there's a lot of mining and and cable laying and things of that nature so these antiquities these men these 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 uh, important sites are are uh, important to find and and make people aware of and we're we're, uh, we're honored to be part of that so. yeah absolutely well hopefully uh, you know we we hear about you at one point uh, soon Discovering that, and of course, the ones that are also you want to keep secret would be uh, yeah, yeah. There's a uh, it, believe I'm sure it or not, because I'm sure it's a competitive business. It, it tends to be, you know. There's a there's a lot of people out there with some kit and some uh, uh, some money from from industry and uh, looking for these things is important. We like to not uh, we're, we're very careful not to uh, disturb these. All our surveys are, 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 are just that, non-invasive. So, so, uh, the grave sites, a lot of those places we're looking for, we're not treasure hunters. So we're, we're, we, we honor that and bring that back to, to, uh, to the world. But, you know, the future, things like this have been raised, uh, you know, people preserving these for the families or for the posterity is, uh, is important. So knowing where they are is the first step. Absolutely. Um, Tim, we will put, um, you know, your, 
detail all the details of uh, Lost 52 uh, in, in the description of this video so people can find out more about that project. But where else should people go to, to learn about you and, and some of the work that you've been doing? Well, we, we, uh, Lost 52 is part of Ocean Outreach, which is our nonprofit, oceanoutreach.org. I think uh, uh, we, we raise money for outreach and education, so all the work we do on expeditions, we can turn into you know, 4D, augmented reality, you know, uh, educational products and outreach for families and, and schools and things of that nature. Uh, my business is Tiburon Subsea. Uh, uh, that's T-I-B-U-R-O-N, subseed.com, and that's uh, underwater robotics. Uh, and 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 lost52.project.org uh, is uh, is our is our direct site to the Lost 52 project. And I think you'll find a lot of interesting images and video if you surf around there. A lot of the a lot of the members of the crew and families, and uh, just a lot of data in there that uh, based on our work. A lot of video. I think people would enjoy. Yeah, it really is fascinating. Um, Tim, thank you so much for spending the time chatting with us uh, this afternoon, or I suppose late morning uh, for you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, and we will uh, hopefully keep in touch in terms of what you're doing in the future because I'm, I'm sure we'd be interested in uh, in featuring it. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you know. Hopefully, this COVID thing is uh, over and done in the next uh, months, a year, and and everything's back to normal, uh, and uh, we get underway, and and uh, we have a lot more to report for you guys. So. Great, All right? lovely. Cheers, Tim. All right, cheers. Bye bye. So that's all we've got time for, unfortunately, for this episode. Um, we're going to be back very soon with more fantastic guests uh, from the world of adventure and exploration. Uh, so if you like this video, then please subscribe for notifications of when we release a new one. Of course, click that like button because it helps our rankings. Uh, but until then, bye-bye.